You're like, what happened after Jesus rose from the dead? And and what did the disciples do? And what happened to the to the to those first people who started to follow him? And what happened in their hearts and in their lives? So we're gonna look at changes. And and I'm, you know, here's the giveaway. It's gonna require some honesty on our own part, about our own lives as we look at it. Before we dig into that, I want to tell you about uh, things I remember that most of you won't. I remember before Crosswinds started. The church is 20 years old this September. And I remember before we started, it was just it was just a concept. And I don't know if you know the kinds of things that go into um, starting a church in in this century at this time, but but we sat down, a couple of us, first of all, just a couple of couples actually, and we, we started to dream together. What if we were starting a church for people who don't even like church, what would it look like? You know, and, and who would come? And it's you, you people don't like church, that's why you're here. We we're happy with that. <laughs> So we started to get some ideas about that, and then we, we, we go, you know what? Ideas aren't going to do it. We've got we to gotta make some plans. And so we started to write those things down and, and make plans, and we actually had a written strategy. If you've been through the Investigating Crosswinds class, you've got a glimpse of some of those earliest conversations. They haven't changed much. We haven't gone, you know, making a whole new deal out of it. And then we said, you know what? We need a mission statement. We need one sentence that captures the heart of our church, where we're going, what we're trying to do. And every week you can look in your program and see what we came up with. And, and that statement has just kind of hung with us to convince people the relevancy of God and to lead them in becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's everything we do at Crosswinds. We want to tie So we wrote it down. And then we realized that there was a necessary evil called constitution and bylaws, right? And every organization in the United States that's going to get certain privileges and, and legal status has to have a constitution and bylaws. So we we made some stuff up and put it on paper, and, and, and there it was. And then we realized that, hey, before we start, wow, we, we probably need to figure out a budget. That was incredibly simple, by the way, the budget. It's because like, we had no money, so then it's easier when you don't have any money. And then uh, we needed to find a place to meet because this, this was not here, right? We, we met at Willow Creek Middle School for 10 years before we got our property and built our first, you know, phase phase one here. And I'm going to tell you that in the in the getting ready to open the doors for the first time, before the church existed, before anybody came to it, before people were even really, really, really committed to it, there were thousands of details discussed. And if you were a part of the opening of this church, you remember that. You remember two 24-foot trailers loaded with stuff, and every single item in that trailer had to be picked out, chosen, purchased, and paid for. And we had no money, right? But that was, that's what we, we did. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You can decide whether you agree with it or disagree with it, but we were, we were living under a, a silent belief. And it didn't stem from me, but I, but I bought into it, and I agreed to it, and I worked real hard at it. And here's the silent belief that we had. We believe that we can organize ourselves into greatness. Right? I mean, I mean, by the way, that's not my number one gift. Right? Some of you go, no kidding, Doug. We would never guess that, right? And my organization and, and administration is not my number one deal. Teachings, you know, I hope high up there, and some other kind of gifts are, are up there, but, but organizing is not my number one gift, but it was some other people's, and these people who are around me were highly committed to organizing because if we can, and, and here's the subliminal belief, if we just organize it, we could organize it in, into greatness. Now, depending on your personality, you're going to go, amen, that's true, that's absolutely true. And, and others of you are going, no, nothing fun ever happened that was planned, ever, <laughs> right? 
And so, so you're probably one of those two kinds of, kinds of people, all right? Now, I just want you to file that for a little bit. We're going to talk about the, the changes. Remember, last week, Easter, we talked about the resurrection of Jesus, and we always go home with, and Jesus was resurrected, and, and you know, he, he is risen. Yes, and he is risen indeed. And, and we go home, and we're all happy, and we eat our chocolate and our ham. And then, but no one usually ends up talking about, so, so then what? You know, what, what happened Next, and so I want to just kind of tell you what happened. I'm not going to go chapter verse anymore. I'm just going to tell you a bit. We're going to get into a longer passage later, but I want to tell you what what happened. The Bible teaches when you put the puzzle pieces together that Jesus, and you already know this, Jesus showed himself. Right? He he hung around for 40 days, but he wasn't with them all the time. There were these appearances, but he but he showed himself, and you can read about that and. Paul mentions it, and he kind of sums it up, even though he wasn't there for all of it. Here's what he wrote, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 9. I pass on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. In other words, this is how I heard it from the people who were a part of it at the time. He wasn't in right away, right? Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried. We talked about this last week. And he was raised from the dead, that's Easter, on the third day, just as the scripture said, which we talked about last week. He was seen by Peter, and then by the 12. And the temptation is, no, 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 that would be the 11, because Judas is gone, right? So it'd be the, I, don't, I don't know why I put 12 there. Oh, wait a minute, it'd be the 10, because Thomas wasn't there the first time anyway. And then he showed himself again to the 11 and said, hey, Thomas, you want to touch, feel, and see? You've got to read this. It's such a great passage, but we don't have time for it tonight. But you doubt, you touch me, feel me, look at my hands. Right? So he's seen by Peter, and then the disciples is what that means. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Right? I don't know if we think about that, but during, there's a 40-day period. Jesus is making these appearances, and he's showing himself to hundreds of people. Someone, someone estimated this. You know, by what we read, it would be thousands of people, because that was just one time, at one time. Right? So he showed himself to 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. You know what that means? Paul's saying, go talk to them. You don't believe me? That's fine. Go talk to them. They're still alive. Hey, were you there at that time? Did you really see? Oh, it was incredible. I can't, the dead guy was walking. You saw, the holes were still in his hands, the scars. Right? And then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Now, why do you think they mentioned James? And the answer, the answer is, James was Jesus' brother, biological brother, right? So here's the deal. If my brother said he was God, it would require me to see him back from the dead. <laughs> right? I mean, there's just no... By the way, that's both of my brothers or my sister, right? Any of them. They would have to show me the scars and the wounds. I'd have to see the death certificate. I'd have to see something, you know, because that's your brother, Right? But James believed. James followed. It's, like, it's one of the best evidences of Jesus being who he said he was of, of, of anything. So later, all the apostles. Last of all, though I had been, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I so, also saw him. In other words, he, oh, if I could have been a disciple. Have you ever wondered about that? Paul, I wish I would have been there for that. I wish I didn't have to go. Because you know Paul, right? He was Saul. He was persecuting Christians. And then there's this road to Damascus, Paul's walking on, and Saul's walking at the time, and his name gets adjusted later. But, and Jesus shows himself to him on the road, in indisputable, and, and Saul becomes Paul, and 
everything changes. He becomes the person who plants church. He becomes the great apostle that we know and wrote about half of our New Testament, right? So he says, so I was born as if at the wrong time. I also saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. He still feels it, his past, right? So th- this is what Jesus did. He, what did he do during the 40 days? He showed himself, okay? So, so that's the first part. The second thing scripture says is that he taught the disciples, which makes perfect sense. Get people together. You know, I'm, I'm risen. What's going on? What's, what's the, we are so blown away. It's so good to see you. You're going to lead us now, right? Well, that's not exactly the plan. You know, and so I, I don't, we don't, we're not privy to everything he taught and how we taught it, but, but we know he taught them. And the last thing Jesus did in the, the 40th day was he ascended into heaven. Now, I looked for pictures of Jesus ascending into heaven, and everybody forgot their cameras. And, <laughs> and, the, and the other part of that is all the paintings you see of it look so hokey. You can't do Jesus rising up into the sky without just looking silly, right? So there's the clouds, and Jesus is gone. He disappeared. I just took a cloud picture. All right, so, so Jesus ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, wherever heaven is and whatever it is, and it's over our, our pay grade, right? So that's 40 days. Before he left, he took the disciples aside, and he said, I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And I, and I think it's the Holy Spirit... This is part where, again, over my pay grade, what is the Holy Spirit? Well, all I know is, is the Father, Jesus talked to from earth in, in the reality of heaven, and then Jesus ascended to be with the Father, and then he said, wait for the Spirit of God, is what the Holy Spirit means, the Spirit of God to come. And I think what it comes down to is God with us individually. And, and I don't know how to express it better than that, but, but that sense that you have that God is with you, some of you, that sense that I have that God is with me, that's the Holy Spirit in our, in our life. The part, that little voice we hear sometimes, that nudging we get, that prompt we get, that's the Spirit of God. There's no separation between what Jesus would say, what God the Father would say. It's all one. And that's the best I'm going to do with that one. Okay, so hold on to that. So 10 days later, 10 days later, <laughs> things get weird. Right? Because Jesus is gone. Now the disciples are alone, and they were told to wait. And so they're waiting, and they're in this room together. And it's the day of what we call Pentecost. It's Jewish holiday. And, and all of a sudden, they hear rushing sounds and tongues of fire come down. And the Holy Spirit enters in a dramatic way. The Holy Spirit usually doesn't do it this way now, but dramatic way, and, and touches them and the rushing wind. And then they start doing something called speaking in tongues. Only what people practice today for speaking in tongues, I'm not sure this is exactly the same because what, when you read the scripture, it sounds, like, it sounds like they would speak in a language they didn't know but that other people in the room would understand, right? Because there were people from all over the area in for this holiday, and so they could speak words of truth and preach in, in the languages from people. How do they speak this language? That's my language. I'm from far away. You know, the other way you could hear it is they could speak and people would just hear their language, which is even... More miraculous if that's what, what took place. But they did this thing called speaking in tongues. We'll leave that just to be a minor mirror, uh, mystery for us. And, but the confusion of it was, the people who were there were going, what are these guys doing? And somebody goes, I think they've been drinking. Really, go read Acts chapter 2. It's hysterical. I think they've been drinking. And Peter's not putting up for this. We're drinking. He stands up, drinking. What time is it? And somebody yells, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. Right? <laughs> He's going, no, 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 it's in the morning. We don't drink, none of us drink in the morning. That's not, no, we don't do that. We're good Jewish people. We don't, it's, we're not drunk. What you're experiencing is this 
this day of God's spirit among us and on us. And he goes on and he says, it's like the prophet Joel said, and he gives us this little flashback to Old Testament scripture to help them make sense of God's spirit has come. And then Peter does something he's never done before that I know of in scripture. He preaches. He's got this huge crowd of people from all over the place, right, in for the holiday, and they're Jewish, and he starts, he starts to preach at them. And, and we're going to go through this. So if you've got your Bibles open to Acts chapter 2, if you have your phones open to Acts chapter 2, it's in there somewhere, all right? And here's, here's what it says. So he starts preaching. People of Israel, listen. It didn't say people of Jerusalem, by the way. People of Israel, Israelites, Jewish people, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him. Now look at this. As you well know. Everybody knows this. Everybody knows what Jesus did. This, the word is spread. You've read it on Facebook. You've read it in your Jerusalem Times. It's everywhere. We're all aware of what Jesus had done. Word of mouth has, has, has spread, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan, the plan, was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. Right? We talked about this just a couple weeks ago. Judas betrayed him. And with the help of lawless Gentiles, that's code for Romans, right? Lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. Right? You got the Romans to do your dirty work. But you guys did it. You guys did it. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. Happy Easter. For death could not keep him in its grip. King David, and now he's doing a flat, for a Jewish audience this makes so much sense. For, for us it's a little harder, right? But he's flashing back to something that King David wrote. Um, said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad. No wonder, excuse me, and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. And this is what Peter's trying to get to, this exact verse. You have shown me the way of life. You will fill me with the joy of your presence. And then Peter says, that's, that's the scripture. Now here's the message. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself. Right? He's saying it's all in first person. And Peter goes, you know, we've always said, oh, look what David wrote. Look what David thought. Look what David said about himself. He goes, that wasn't about him. He wasn't referring to himself. You want to know why? Because he's dead. For he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. You can go up and look. There's King David. You could dig up and get his bones out if you wanted to. His body is there. Right? Unlike Jesus, the empty tomb. Right? But he was a prophet even though he may not call himself. He was prophesying at that point in time, and he knew that God had promised with an oath that one of David's own ancestors, descendants, would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. Now, here's what I don't know. I don't know if David knew that. You know, David was writing, I think, under inspiration, and, and I don't know that David would have said, yeah, I was thinking about Jesus. I don't know that he could connect all those dots, but that's the nature of prophesying. Right? He, he was speaking about something he didn't have to know about, but God was speaking truth through him. He was saying that God would not leave him, Jesus, among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. 
God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of that. By the way, for us, we go, oh, that's kind of interesting. For the Jewish people, go, oh, what? That's what David was talking about? And the puzzle pieces just fit perfectly? And there's this aha moment for them that we probably can't really appreciate. And we're all witnesses of this. And now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven. Remember, he ascended into heaven. And he's now at God's right hand, whatever that reality is. This is Peter's understanding of it. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out among us, just as you see and hear today. What is going on is not a bunch of drinking. This is God among us. This is the Holy Spirit poured out on us. This is a new chapter. This is a new reality under the new covenant from Jesus. For David himself never ascended into heaven, did he? No, he didn't. Yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand. And his point is, it's not David. That's Jesus. Until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So then he gets to the, his conclusion, kind of a little bit wrapping it up. He says, so... Peter speaking, let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Does that strike anybody else as harsh? I mean, you're speaking to people. Don't you want to win them over with nice words? Don't you want to say things like, you know, you guys didn't know what you were doing? You know, Jesus stepped on the cross, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. So obviously you didn't know what you were doing. You're really nice Jewish people. I like you. You know, we can do some, some bagels later, something together, right, kind of thing. And, you know, some kind of a plan. To, let me pray for you guys. I love you all so much. And he goes, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. Feel the guilt? To be both Lord and Messiah. You guys killed the Messiah. So what happens next? If you don't, if you know, don't say it out loud. Because here's what I think should have happened. It should say, and so all the Jewish men knelt down and picked up a rock to throw at Peter. We killed him and we'll kill you too. With that message, that should have been the response without any doubt in my mind at all. That would be the normal kind of response. Here's what Acts says happened. Peter's words pierced their hearts. Pause there for a moment. It wasn't Peter's words. It was Peter's message. It wasn't Peter's message. It was the Holy Spirit speaking through Peter. And, and that, that word, that message, that Holy Spirit pierced their hearts. And they knew what they were hearing was, was true. And they killed the Messiah. They were a part of it. They were there. Even if they didn't do anything, they were a part of it. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? What should we do? We'll do whatever you tell us to do. What, how do we deal with this one? We killed the Messiah. And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. And be baptized in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, this presence of God, this relationship with God. 
through, there's no other way to have a relationship with God except through the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away. I don't think that's a geographic statement. I think it's generation after generation after generation. Jesus died for all of humanity. All who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Let's just focus on that for a moment. Peter preached for a long, long time. And I want to be like Peter. Now, I, you know, he just, I don't know what I put that in there. That's nice, though. Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, hold on to that for a moment, because when we read generation, we think millennials, boomers, Gen X, right? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, save yourself from this wicked time, this wicked culture, this, this and, and it never ends. It doesn't change. We could say the same thing today. We live in a culture that's getting farther and farther away from, from God. Every, I think everybody kind of knows that implicitly. It's really, we've really changed. We've really moved. And so he's saying, hey, save yourself from this, this crooked time period. Right? So that was the message that started the church. Before I tell you what happened, let me just give you a hint here. In a moment, people are going to respond to this message. And we move on to the next verse, right? But that was the beginning of the church. They didn't call it the church. It was just a movement. They didn't even call it a movement. It was just a bunch of people who said, I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm sorry for what happened, and I want to be baptized, and I want to, I want to be forgiven of my sins, and I want the leadership of God in my life. But here's what I noticed. They had no plan. How do you start a church without a plan? Right? They, they had no strategy. They did not think, Okay, it's Pentecost. That's a day when everybody's going to be... I mean, God had a strategy. God had a plan. But, but they didn't. They were just responding to the Spirit of, of God. They didn't have a mission statement. They had a directive from Jesus, go and teach and preach and help people come to believe in me and teach them to obey me, make disciples of all nations. right? But they didn't have a strategy. They didn't really have a mission statement. They just remembered what Jesus said. Let's do what Jesus said. right? They didn't have any bylaws. How are they going to handle this church thing if they don't know, you know, no rule? They had no budget and no building. They had nothing. And here's what happened. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, you know, to the followers who were already there when Jesus was there, added that day were about 3,000, and the Bible actually in the Greek calls it souls. Men and women. And and they got baptized that day. 3,000 of them got baptized that day. Right? And here's the problem. They had thousands of people without an organizational clue. And, and when I say it's the problem, I mean, you probably think I'm being tongue-in-cheek about that. No, I'm very serious. They had no organizational clue, but they had 3,000 people. And that's why when you read through Acts, you're going to notice a few things about the early church. One, it got very messy. Things were very, church is always messy, but it got very, very messy because they didn't have a plan. They had to develop everything for the first time. They had to do it on the fly. There was no pre-written. People didn't get together and plan it out and write it all down for them. And so here's how we're going to operate and function. None of that was there, right? And it survived and it thrived by the grace of God. It survived through the harshest of times persecution, and it thrived. It just kept growing and growing because they loved each other and it was irresistible. 
And this is, this is the start of the church. And when we read it, the question that I think of is, so what binds us to them? That was 2,000 years ago. That was a totally different culture, totally different place in the world. Totally different kinds of languages and customs and backgrounds. What do we have in common with, with them? And, I, and I, I can't think of a lot except for our need for Jesus. Except for what Jesus did goes to their children and to people far away. And I feel pretty far away. And the Bible's saying it counts for us. And so I started wondering, what if I could transport Peter here to speak to you tonight? What if, what if Peter showed up? What, what would he... What would he say? And, and I'm, I'm just going to guess. Peter would have the Holy Spirit flowing through him. And I, th- I bet when he finished speaking, we would turn to Peter and go, what should we do? Brother Peter, what should we do? And I think he'd say, he'd say we're going to do the same thing. The same thing I told those people in Jerusalem. Each of us must repent of our sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins. Okay, so I want to break that down just a little bit because I think it, it comes out kind of funny. You hear the word repent. And I don't know what comes to your mind. I think of a, of a guy sitting on a sidewalk, right? Anybody got this image, right? And what's the sign say? Repent for the, the end is near, right? Repent for the end is near. Then I saw this, this cartoon, right? The end is near, the end is near. Science and religion finally agree. One's got the Bible and one has global warming. They both agree <laughs> that the end is, is, is near, right? And then I saw, and that's, that's just kind of tongue-in-cheek, that was for fun, but, but then someone put up a really good statement. They said, actually, the end isn't near, so there's time to, like, think and talk things through, right? And I thought, if we're honest about it, that's us. I'm, I'm not going to scare you with the end is near, you know, but... But there's time, I hope, to, to think and to talk and to work things through. And if you're here today and you're going, I've never even heard this message, this repent thing before. Let me just start there. I want you to think it through. That's my prayer for you. If, you, if, if you're going, ah, this is new stuff to me. I'm not sure I understand this. Don't, don't feel pressure for what we're talking about. I want you to think it through. I want, we can talk it through. right? But here's what repent means. It means... It really means to come to your senses. It means to change your mind biblically, right? So another way of saying this, I think, is is like, hey, what I think was going to work isn't working. What I thought was going to work, what I've been investing my life into, uh, it's not working. So let me give you an example. When I was when I was in high school, some of you know this. I I was on this exploration for what is meaningful, what is fun, what is joyful in life, right? And so I went to the, to the party scene a little bit. So I'd go to these parent out-of-town houses, right? And you, there's lots of students in there, and there's, there's refreshments served freely. And so at first, I was indulging in all the opportunities. And what I started to realize was I'd go home and I would be completely empty. And this is the honesty part. This is the tough part. When I was finally honest with myself, I told myself it wasn't working. Doug, what you're trying to fill up on 
It's leaving you emptier than you were before. And it didn't matter what I went to in life, because I tried other stuff. Whatever I went to in life, it was always the same. Afterwards, I'd be more empty than, than, I, than I was. And I realized, I mean, my, my favorite story is when I sat at a party and I didn't drink at the party, but I just stood there, and people would come up to me, and, and this, it's like they didn't know how to have a conversation about anything. They would only ask you, hey, are you having fun? And I go, not really. Just here observing you, you know? And, and that's what I was doing. I was observing. Everybody's asking me if I'm having fun. Are you having fun? Are you having fun? You know, they were, I figured it out. The light bulb went on. They're trying to convince themselves that they're having fun. Because if I'm having fun, they're having fun. So they wanted me to, to support the movement of this. Oh, this is great. So glad to be here. And the truth was, nobody was having fun. They were just trying to convince themselves that, that they were. I know I can't say that definitively, but that was the message that I got that night. So repent. See, I was repenting. I was changing my mind. I was thinking my way was the right way, and I was coming to a conclusion my way wasn't working. Repenting actually doesn't necessarily have anything to do with God. It's just changing your mind. But the next thing Peter said was repent and turn to God. Right? So what he's saying is change your mind from stuff that's not ever going to work and turn to God. Turn to God and look for him. Devote yourself to him. See how that works. See how he works in your life. Give him, give him everything and, and see how it goes. So the two go together. Repent. Repent. Change your mind. And then take the next step and turn to God. For what? Well, forgiveness for all the empty ways you've been trying to fill up instead of him. For all the stuff that I've done. And there was a list for me I had to work on. You know, just saying, God, I'm so sorry. I need your forgiveness. That's kind of the turning to God. I want what Jesus did on the cross to count for me. I want him to be, I want to live in that forgiveness and that freedom. I don't want this weight of guilt. I don't want this emptiness anymore. Right? So for me, there was a repentant turn to God. Can I just tell you the truth? For some of us, we used to follow Jesus. And, and the message isn't repent and turn to God. The, the, the message is repent and return to God. Change your mind about what you, how you've drifted and return to what you know already is true. What used to fill you up, but you've wandered away somehow. So repent and turn and repent and return. And I think if Peter was speaking to us today, I think you'd go, this is for every single one. I'm going I'm to say something maybe a little bit bold. I don't think you can be a Christian. I don't think you can follow Jesus unless you come to a point where you go, my way doesn't work. I'm repenting, I'm changing my mind. And God, I want your way. I want your forgiveness. I want your lead. It's not about believing in God in his existence. It's not about going to church. It's about surrendering. God, not my way. It's not working. That's, I'm repenting of my way. It leaves me empty. It doesn't work. It's not filling me up. Instead, I want your way. And I want forgiveness. And I want your leadership. And I, my life belongs to you. That's what a Christian is. That's one who's following Jesus. And I think Peter would just go, this wasn't just for those guys because they killed Jesus. No. Peter goes, this is for me. This is for you. This is for every single person whoever lives. One of those people is Nikki Johnson who goes to church here. And we asked her to tell her about her repent and turn, return to Jesus. Here's her story. 
Well, because I was lost for so long. I mean, there was a period of probably 15 years where faith was not a part of my life. But growing up, I grew up in a Lutheran household. Um, I went to Sunday school. I taught Sunday school. I worked at a Bible camp for two summers. I went to, I attended um, Christian schools for college. I think as a child, um, I suffered um, sexual abuse from the ages of probably 8 to 10 by someone um, that was supposed to be a trusted person um, in my life. Didn't understand why God would allow that to happen. Um, why, why me? Why was it something that I had to experience? When I was in my first year of college, I was also raped. That next year, I went to Concordia up in Fargo-Moorhead, and um, while it was a school, it was a Christian-based school, um, I started to experience alcohol and what it would do for me. Um, I would forget the things that happened to me. I would become a more fun and outgoing person. Um, I, I just liked the effect that alcohol produced. And so that became more uh, a much more regular part of my life. Um, I started working in the bars because it was easy money, it was good money. Um, got caught up in that whole scene, started drifting away from school. And I guess that all kind of came to a point where I got put on academic probation because my studies were slipping so much. And that's when I really had to sit back and take a look, okay, what's going on in my life? So I made the choice at that point to move home. I thought things would start to get better because I was away from that scene, but I wasn't quite aware of the grip that alcohol had on me at that point. When I got my first and second DUI, that's when things really became apparent that I needed to get help. Um, I was in denial, you know, and, and during this whole time, God really wasn't in the picture for me. And truly, it wasn't until um, I became fully immersed in a support system of recovery that I started to realize how important God was in my life if I were to ever regain any sort of um, personal relationship with him, personal relationship with other people, regain trust back from my family. Um, my life had truly spun out of control. Um, and through all of this, I guess one of the things that um, most recently has struck me is the fact that through these relationships I've built in my recovery community, um, I have become to realize that I can be grateful to be an alcoholic. And the reason I say that is because if it wasn't for um, meeting people in recovery, I never would have found the Church of Crosswinds. And if I never would have found Crosswinds, um, my life would not be half of what it is today. Um, I have been to Belize on the missions trip um, twice. And while I was in Belize the first year, I was baptized. And I think that's when the real turning point 
for me came with my faith. Um, I realized that I'd always had God in my life, but I'd never accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. You know, if I would have thought even five years ago, what, what would I expect my life to look like? Um, I could not have dreamed of anything like what I have today. My life isn't perfect. Um, but I have a faith and I have a trust in God that I've never experienced before. So that's, that's what Nikki did, right? She repented. She returned to God. She, she figured out, hey, the things I'm doing, I, this is never going to fill me up. It's never going to work. And she returned to God. You know, I appreciated the crosswinds plug in there, but this is not about crosswinds. This is about something much, much, we're just a little, we're a place. We're an organized group of people. Well organized. Right? But you don't need a building. You don't need a constitution. You don't need a plan. You need a God. And I need a God. And i got to come to my senses. And, and I think some of us in the room, if we're just honest with ourselves, maybe we need to come to our senses with God tonight. Got to change our mind, tell the truth to ourselves, and we've got to return to God or turn to God. And then the other thing he said was be baptized. And just so we're clear about that, I'm not gonna, we're going to talk about this in a few weeks when we actually do baptisms more, but just so you know what it means, it means take a stand. For all of those people that day, it meant going public. I'm, I'm a Jew who follows Jesus, is what it went for the Israelites with Peter. They, they didn't give up being Jewish. They just recognized that he's the Messiah. And they turned to him. And they took a stand publicly. And it was probably a very dangerous thing to do. For us, it's just a matter of taking a stand, being, being baptized. But it also means taking a stand in our lives that we're not going to sit down again about our faith. We're going to cling to it and cling to God. So the question I want to close with is, <laughs> if Peter were speaking here today, and we asked, what should I do? I think he would say the exact same thing. Some of us need to just be honest with ourselves. Maybe change our minds. Maybe that's as far as we can go tonight. We're not ready to go to the God thing. Others of us are ready to go, this isn't working. And God, I want you. I need you. I know I need you. I need that forgiveness. I need that leadership. I don't know if I need the church, but I need you. And the last is, some of us have done those things, but we've never taken that stand. And I don't want to twist your arm, but... We're doing a baptism in a few weeks. You can sign up for it at the table. You can take that stand with us. But I want to encourage you to, to wrestle with that one with, with, with God. So let's, let's call in prayer, and I'm just going to pray our way through this. God, we, um, I, don't, I don't know where any, I'm not thinking about any person in this room. For, for us to throw out guilt or manipulation does nothing for anybody. But God, I would ask that your spirit would be in this room. That you would pour yourself over our hearts. And that you would enable us to tell ourselves the truth about our lives. About where we're going, about what we're trying, about how we're approaching everything.
And God, if we need to change our minds, would you help us to repent? Would you help us to change our minds? Would you help us to see the truth? And God, maybe some of us tonight need to turn to you for the first time. And we need to say, I can't do it this way anymore. I don't want to go this way anymore. Jesus, would you, would you change my life? Would you forgive my sins and for my, my willful stupidity, my willful bad choices? Would you be my forgiver? And God, maybe some of us, we, we know all that, we prayed all that. But tonight we, we have to say, would you take me back again? I need to come back. I think all of us, God, can say, would you, be a, would you lead us? Would you lead me into truth and, and into the future and help me become who you made me to be and live the life, that, do the things that you called me to do? And finally, God, I do pray for Crosswinds that we would be highly organized but even more responsive to your spirit. Christ's name. Amen. Hey, if you-